0: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's
1: right, everybody. We are back. in This is episode 215. Powerful CSS pseudo-classes. Maybe we should have like a sound effect, Mike, like the powerful or something some, <laughs> yeah yeah like a like as if the the title was like a like a metal like written in metal or something and yeah. like falls into the concrete or something some something like that one uh, day one day one day well, what's weird about us saying one day is that this is an audio show so we're gonna like pay good money for an animation to then only
2: <laughs> hear it
1: to then only hear it Anyway, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And just a brief thing, uh, we are planning a Discord server overhaul for anyone who's been in the server for a while. We've been talking about it with our moderators and such, and we are... Planning it out, working on some new features, some new content, and stuff like that for the Discord server. So if you if you haven't joined, now would be the time because you're going to see the old and then the transition into the new. But to get into this episode, I wrote this episode because I have been uh, you know just using CSS at this point for quite a long time, and I really never, I really never updated my knowledge until I got into a roadblock. So you would hit a bunch of roadblocks as you just make projects. And by doing that, I would upgrade my knowledge. And to me, I was updating my knowledge pretty often, which is true, but I guess not often enough because like I said, poking around YouTube and I found a few creators that were discussing some CSS features that I just had no idea existed. And so I watched a variety of videos, looked up a couple of the MDN, uh, like official descriptions of them and stuff like that, and I chose three pseudo classes, so three CSS pseudo classes that I'm going to personally start using in my projects. Now, some of them, and I'll get into that for each one, but some of them are pending the appropriate browser support, so some of them I'll only be using in personal projects, some of them I can use in production, and some of them maybe I can use in specific production environments if the requirements are okay. But the first one here is one that's actually been hitting... The YouTube sphere quite hard. I've seen this one quite a bit now that I've been actually looking in this area. A couple new videos I've seen on this at least two or three over the last few days, and that is the has pseudo class written colon has and then two brackets. Uh, the MDN description word for word is quote uh, the has uh, the has CSS pseudo class represents an element if any of the selectors passed as parameters relative to the scope of the given element match at least one element basically this means like that that's an end quote by the way so this is me talking now basically this means that you can detect if an element has or contains something like an element a class or something like that so a common example would be a content box something where literally it's just a box that contains a title and a paragraph and an optional image. So when I say content box, or anyone doesn't know, I'm literally talking about if you have a bunch of blog posts and you want to list them on the archive page, if you're a WordPress person, or just or the collections page, if you're a if you're a uh, Webflow Webflow guy. Basically, it's just. Literally boxes around little snippets of each of the blog posts that you've written. And they're done in various different styles. And you can then click on one and go in there. Now, content boxes can be used for more than that, but that's the most common use case. And so for our example, we'll just have a title and a paragraph inside, but we'll also have an optional image. Now you could use the has pseudo class to detect if the content box has an image tag inside of it. And then you could do some unique styling to just those content boxes. So say, for example, you want the ones that have images to have the background color be red. You could do that. You can detect effectively that, hey, this content box has an image inside of it. And therefore, I want the background color of this content box to be red. Now, Beyond the basics of this, you can get more functionality out of has with things like combinators. So something like the child combinator, which is the greater than symbol, if you will, for math and the adjacent sibling uh, combinator as well, which is the plus sign, the addition sign. And there's quite a few examples that I found on MDN that do use uh, the combinators, but I'll give you a basic example of how it works with our original sort of content box example. And then I'll get into these two combinator examples just to be totally clear. So how I would write it is, if you remember just from a couple of seconds ago, we had the title, the paragraph, and an optional image. Let's just say for the sake of simplicity that our content box has the class content box. So in CSS, we'd write it as dot content box. And then you'd write your colon, your has, and then inside of your, inside of your brackets, you would put img or image. This would look for, this would look for any image tags inside of the content box, in, inside of the content box class. And then you'd obviously do your squiggly brackets, your open and closing squiggly brackets after that. And then within that, you'd have your background color set to red. One thing to point out, and the reason why I brought this up is that it's not styling the image. It's detecting that the content box has an image and then it's styling that content box. So it's styling the background color of that content box. Wanted to make that clear before we get into the combinators. Now, these two examples are directly, are directly from MDN because I just thought they were good. And they are, the first one is matching A elements that directly contain an image. And it reads, the following selector matches only A elements that contain an IMG or image child. So it's written as a colon has, and then in your brackets, you have the greater than sign. So there's your child combinator, child selector, and then space img. So it's looking for any a or link elements that directly contain an image. That means basically that there isn't, there is not an image tag buried in there. There's not children and then those children have children and those children have children and within this maze and this hierarchy of all these divs and say sub divs if you will and sub divs there's an image in there somewhere it's saying that this link has an image right away it contains it right there it's a child of the a tag it's
2: a first level child yeah
1: the first level child correctly or correct correctly correctly said my good sir the next one here Matching h1 elements that are followed by a p tag. So the following selector, and this is again from MDN. The following selector matches h1 elements that are only, excuse me, h1 elements only if they have a p element directly following them. This is written as h1 colon has, and then in your brackets you have your plus sign space and then p. So you can see how combining has in various ways with combinators. And there's other combinators out there. There's, uh, there's going to be other things like we're going to touch on not in a bit, but you can combine not with has and stuff like this. This should kind of give you an example of how powerful has is because you can get some sort of computational logic almost out of it with just CSS. You're not pulling in JavaScript. And that's something that I will touch on later in the episode as well. But I think these two examples are basic, and if you go into any sort of uh, YouTube channel, a bunch of the YouTube channels, and I do have some links that I will share and I will talk about in a moment, but a bunch of the YouTube uh, videos will go into specific use cases and specific things that they've thought up. Like, hey, you know, in this specific example with a content box, we're going to use this child combinator or we're going to use this adjacent sibling combinator. In order to ensure that the has, you know, selects the right content box, selects the right H1, selects the right A or the link, that type of stuff. So has combined with literally combinators and then combined with other things like pseudo classes, like not, can become really, really powerful. But as I'm sure you're rolling your eyes already, you're probably thinking, hey, you know, is this, how is this supported? Kind of sounds like an advanced thing. Kind of sounds like a pipe dream. Can I use it? And I will include the can I use dot com link. Of course, I'm going to have a ton of links in the show notes for this episode, including the MDN docs that I'm referring to and everything. So, you know, keep it locked there. But it it's not bad. It's not great. So there is some what I would say major support missing, although it's not too bad. Major support missing, and I'm just summarizing the full details can be found on Can I Use? But in Firefox, it is behind a flag. For people that need to support Internet Explorer, it ain't happening. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Samsung Internet is also marked as red. It's not there, not there yet. And it is, you know, it's not behind a flag or anything. It just ain't there as of checking this, as of recording this. And there's obviously more holes in the compatibility. The good news is, though, is that we're talking about three major browsers, we're talking about Chrome, uh, and then by association Edge, cause it's with Chromium and also, um, Firefox, of course. You know, there's your, there's your three sort of, let's say major browsers. And yes, I know Safari's in there and stuff like this, but in terms of I'm on PC, I'm just going to focus on those. Um, Firefox is only behind a flag. So all the browsers that I have installed, short of Samsung internet on my phone, I guess, can run this no problem Um, which is good so that means it is coming that's why it's like eh, like you can start using this a little bit i would say probably more on personal projects or on very specific niche projects that maybe run only on a certain platform that's supported such as maybe you made a web page that's designed to be a kiosk web app and that kiosk web app always runs in edge or always runs in chrome or whatever then you're good to then you're good to go with using has. But again, always check caniuse.com to see how the browser support for pseudo classes and other things are coming along in various areas. Now, I do want to actually have a little bit of a spotlight on one of the sources I had, and and what in what inspired this whole episode it was actually uh, Kevin Powell on YouTube. I've never watched his content before, and he just paw- it was like three three in the morning or something, and I was on YouTube and randomly saw his video on has I was like, Oh, what's this has thing clicked on it, watched it and really enjoyed it. So in the video that I'm going to link in the show notes, Kevin goes over the basics, but also some more advanced use cases for has, including using combinators and stuff like that. And really to use combinators alongside other things that I won't spoil to get more advanced, say selections, get your selectors to be more advanced. And so I'll leave that to Kevin's video. And again, I will I will put that in uh, in the uh, show notes if you want to watch it. But if you're planning on using has, I definitely recommend uh, Kevin's video that I'm going to link there.
2: Yeah, uh, first of all, Kevin's awesome. Uh, <laughs> he makes a lot of videos like that. But uh, has is something that I've been waiting Firefox to catch up on because it's something I want to use. And mainly because anytime you're working on a components library that has a lot of variants. Uh, so if you're working on like a hero image that can have one or two buttons that can have videos or images that can have uh, three or four lines of text, whatever, uh, with different kinds of variants has comes in handy like crazy. And without it, you have to kind of com- combine different classes. It's a little bit ugly uh, or you have to use a little bit of JavaScript to get the same functionality as has. So I've personally known about it for a year or two now and have been waiting for it to come and I thought it would already be here. I know, like Matt said, the only one that's really lagging behind fully that I would care about for most of my applications would be Firefox, just enabling that flag because right now, uh, like a a normal user of Firefox is obviously going to have the flag disabled, so you can't can't use it. Um, But yeah, like, it'd be great to have. The other reason, like the one demo I did with has a long time ago was a container box for a bunch of selectable buttons. And my intention was the container box, I wanted to highlight the container box when a selectable button was active. So essentially I used a has with an active class. So if if this div has an active class inside of it, the container box would be kind of highlighted saying that, okay, you've activated this container box. So I just wanted to give an example of something that I've actually done with Has and that seems like it would be awesome to do if I could do it. But again, production-wise, I haven't used it yet, unfortunately, because uh, of the lack of support.
1: Well, one thing I was going to ask you there, Mike, is do, do you test on Samsung Internet?
2: No, I don't test on Samsung Internet. Neither does any of our QA team that... Uh, that I know of. So I'm not sure. It's a
1: pretty major, like if you think about it, and I don't, I want to be clear, but my CSS that I'm using is kind of older, I guess at this point. And so it always seems to work on there. But there's a lot of people out there that get a Samsung phone and they just use the Samsung Messages app. They use all the default apps and Samsung Internet. I don't know if it's the default on the newer phones, but it was on the phone that I'm using currently. And I wouldn't be surprised if many people are in that ecosystem where they just use all the Samsung apps and and a lot of people too not like 10
2: uh i don't know so according to can i use samsung internet has a global usage of 1.31% so i i guess it's more than 1% so i guess that is significant but if you, like just an example and chrome for android is 42%
1: so, okay. Like,
2: yeah, so it's it's not a huge consideration if you have a massive corporation. Uh yes, like if you if you're targeting the entire public, but um let's see let's see what Edge has, for instance. Edge has 0% for well a new version of Edge has 0%. Uh, Edge 12 to 1-104 has 4.28%, so Edge has a little bit more in
1: general. Well, what's what's yeah. Edge, sorry, Edge 12 is that Chromium? I don't really follow Edge the numbers. of yep. okay. 12 is
2: Chromium, yep. 12 is Chromium. And then, I don't know about IE. IE has, so IE has, like, less than a percent as well. Thank, Thankfully. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully yeah. So, seriously? I mean, if you care about IE, I would say, yes, you would care about Samsung Internet. But if you don't care about IE, it would be a toss-up. That I'm be- surprised
1: it's that low, actually. Uh, as yeah. Something that is or was set as the default browser on the best, I think, selling Android phone in know one a lot of, of the two in one of the two big titans in the phone space. You would think a lot of people, not everyone,
2: a lot of people do leave the default browsers, but a lot of people do just download Chrome.
1: I suppose that's true, I, and, and you you were telling me that a lot of people don't even use the browser. That's
2: true. Like I barely use the browser as well. Like I, I barely use it because I just use the web views. But I think if you leave the uh, Samsung internet as your default, it'll use Hmm. the Samsung internet web views. So it still counts.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. All right, cool. Well, just a little tangent, but I thought that was interesting. Um, but we'll move on to the next, the next powerful pseudo class here. And that is, is. So the MDN description, once again, it reads quote, the is pseudo CSS pseudo class, uh, function takes a selector list as its argument. And selects any element that can be selected by one of the selectors in that list. This is useful for writing large selectors in a more compact form. End quote. So what does this mean? This means that instead of writing long, long form, effectively long form complex selectors that are, as the name suggests, or as I just said, can get really lengthy and really confusing, you can use is to make them more complex. An example would be. Let's say you're going to tar- target the nav element and various things within it. You would you would write, uh, let's say you're going to target, to be clear, uh, links in the nav, so the A tag, uh, buttons, which have the CSS class button, and a dropdown, which has the CSS class dropdown. So in this example, we would, instead of writing nav space A comma space nav dot button comma space nav space dot dropdown, and that's a real basic one. You can now just write nav colon, um, nav colon is, and then in brackets, a comma dot button comma dot nav is generally how you can write that. Uh, and sorry, there's a space after the nav. So nav space colon is in brackets, a comma space dot button comma space dot nav. Got to find a better way to say this. I might just start talking in more pseudocode terms in this audio show, but basically You can see how much more compact that is, and it makes more kind of sense to the to the naked eye, too. Instead of you constantly rewriting the word nav to target that thing, you're just going in here and you can just going in here and literally saying nav. And then I want to target these specific things instead of this huge selector. And obviously, this example is easy and it wouldn't really matter. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme whether you use a long, complex, lengthy, uh, selector in the traditional sense, like I just mentioned, but it can get pretty messed up. And I think I saw this in a Kevin Powell video. Is that one helpful thing is that if you if you were to typo something in your long complex selector, everything stops working. So all the things if you selected fifteen things, all those things stop working. The styles don't get applied to any of those fifteen things. You typoed one, but if it's you're in the is and you do, you know, this this nav example. So nav and then inside of your is you have the a the button class and the the drop down class. All right. If you have that in there. You can the, let's say you typo drop down and you actually like leave the the o out. So you just like DRP then drop down or like DRP then down. It will just not apply to the drop down class. You're not going to it's not going to mess something up. That's pretty useful. It's like a little, like a little edge case, but it's pretty useful. I also just realized that I accidentally wrote my example, um, with my is as a button and then nav. That's incorrect. It's a then the button class, then the dropdown class. Just to be clear, in case I read that out there wrong, I just accidentally just just notice that right now. Of course. So, um, uh, I, I'm curious about this. Uh, only stop
2: working, uh, when you one one like of the things is typoed. I figure that will actually be a huge help with conditional stuff. So if you have a nav, like like we were talking about with has, if you have a nav that can have a bunch of different things in it, right, but it's conditional based on flags in your CMS or whatever, you can write just one is function for all of them. And if one is missing, one is missing. It's not a big deal right so it's not it it's not a huge thing but if you have one in the old way where you have to write them all out and one of them doesn't appear on the page and none of them work now then you kind of have to kind of split it up and write the conditional ones separately uh of the non-conditional ones so this could save you multiple lines of code in that sense i didn't know about that limitation actually i never never ran into it
1: cool well the the thing with it is that these you know these selectors you know they're not complex in in the idea, right? You're basically writing down selectors and then you're putting a comma space and then another selector. And then you're it, all together. You're selecting like a collection of things. One of the biggest things I found, Mike, is that when we go and, and modify existing code bases, um, especially WordPress ones, and especially WordPress ones where someone has used the additional CSS area, they'll, let's say they want to zero something out. Like let's say the, the theme is always adding a margin of 40, around all the sides of buttons for whatever reason. And they don't want that. They'll write a huge selector for all the different types of buttons that this theme will style the same as a button. Sometimes it's different divs and sometimes it's different classes and this and that. So they have this big, this big, huge selector. And I notice that when the site has been maintained over and over again, people will repeat the same thing in the selector all the time. So you'll have like nav A and then you know, a couple things, comma, a couple comma one thing, comma one thing, comma one thing, comma nav A again, and you're just selecting it twice, like it just doesn't make any sense as well. So it starts becoming complex in that you what I do is I literally take the selector out, I put it into like a notepad or notepad plus plus whatever, and I literally break it up, see everything. And then I put it, I reconstruct it with the, the, the commas and spaces appropriately. That's, that's just what I do to fix that. And this removes that. This just allows you to say, these are the things I want. Oh, why isn't it applying it to the button class? Oh, I spelt button without a U. Whoops. And not being like, Oh my God, I just broke. Could you imagine if like you had a huge selector of every button on a WordPress site and then you just broke all the styling of every single button on the whole WordPress site? It'd be, it'd be ridiculous. So this 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 like really helps you at least I would think would really help with stuff like that especially for whatever reason in my case that that friggin additional css area in wordpress I like it because it's a quick fix and I friggin hate it cuz I always forget it's there and then I'm trying <laughs> to fix it and I'm trying to use a css class and I forget it's in there disaster So this will help with that like if I start seeing complex uh, things I am going to start using is And we'll talk about the browser compatibility and where I can do that in a bit. But I did want to point one thing out with the syntax here. When I was first learning about this, I just didn't, for whatever reason, think that this is how it was going to be written. But you can write the is pseudo class um, with no space or with a space. So you can literally write, for example, header and then have is right up against it. No space in between. And then you can also have header with a space and then have your is in there. The, and colon, the
2: colon separates it, right?
1: Well, no, because what I was going to say is, is this allows you to have the selector be literally, instead of you writing like header dot, let's say the class is red text. Instead of writing header dot red text or header space dot red text, those are two different things. Mm -hmm. You can do this with is 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 not just limited to having a space after the first thing and you can use is like right away. You don't have to have something before. I don't have to have a nav in my in my example before I write is you can have is right away. And and there's like there's there's examples of people using is like to zero things out and stuff like that. Of course, there's going to be tons of innovative ways to use it. But just when I was first learning this, I just never really thought that the syntax would work. I just thought, oh, cool. Like I would have to write something like, you know, a class, some sort of selector. I'd have to write a class. I'd have to write um, a, a, a an HTML element. And then I'd have to use is. But it's like, no, no, you can use is right away. So there's th- those are just two things that I thought was interesting about is. Is that they can be written with or without the space after a selector. And then they can also be written without a selector entirely. But you can also have selectors after. So two examples, if I use the red text uh, class again, is with is, like, if I can literally start my CSS, say my CSS query, my selector in there, I can literally have, like, is, and then the class red text in the is, and then I could do some styling based on detecting that. Or I could do is red text space H1. That's, like, that's where, like, you can, you can. Kind of move is around more than I thought you would be able to in the line in the selector.
2: How how does the is dot red text space h one like how does that what how does that work what does it select?
1: That is a good question. Yeah. Well, if we work it through, yeah. Uh, if we think about it, uh, it'd be is is so it'd be dot red text space h one. Would that even do anything? I don't know. That's the thing. Working that out live would that even do anything because I saw examples of people doing it so I just like threw in this basic example for the sake of but it would right because if you think about it it would be it would be written as so if you have this is it would be effectively writing it as dot red text space h1 would that yeah. yeah no yeah it would because it, it it you would it would be a div
2: yeah, that has red with, text with, on it. With
1: the red text class. And mm. inside of it, you'd have an H1. H1. Yeah. That would work. Sure. So there, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Some live solving, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, there is a caveat here. And, I mean, it applies to other pseudo classes as well. I might apply to has as well. I didn't didn't find too much out about that. But is gets applied to the most specific selector. So there's a whole thing on specificity because you can write like two is rules and it'll So let's say you like let's say you write two is rules. Well, when you're writing CSS, let's just say uh, take is out of it completely. Let's just say I have the class. Hello. And the class. Hello is going to make the uh, background color red. This is easy. So I'd write like dot. Hello. Background color red in my squiggly brackets. Then you know, down a little bit, I'd write dot hello. And then my background color is green. Well, it's not in the end result. It's going to have a green background color. It's not going to have the red background is that is not necessarily true. If my top one is more specific is a higher specificity rating, if you will, than the bottom one, it will apply the top one. It will not apply the bottom one. Hmm. There is, I'm not going to get into that. I don't think it's great for an audio to be totally honest. Um there's a great resource that I will talk about in my sources section of this that somebody goes into a whole scoring system with how specificity is calculated, how specificity is this and that and whatever. So um that's where we'll that, that that's where I would suggest you learn that. But to move on to browser compatibility, um once again, can I use I'll put the link in the description, but I think the compatibility here is quite good. I think this is pretty well ready to use. Again, always check for your specific project, but pretty well green across the board. Uh, minus IE, Internet Explorer, of course, and Opera Mini, if you care about that. Um, but I I would, my uh, criteria is met. I would be happy to use is in a production project. Again, check for your own personal project, but I would use it in a production project, no problem. Whereas has, I'd be raising an eyebrow a bit. Under the sources, of course, um, I have uh, obviously the MDN, um, obviously the MDN uh, document that we pulled from, but also two YouTube videos. Now, the first YouTube video shows off examples of how. Uh, Making errors is more forgiving with is, which I went into and how like obviously as as the selector grows without is and it starts getting bigger and bigger, errors are more common. It also shows off a basic specificity example i believe that's a kevin powell video and then there's another video here that goes into specificity in detail and other pseudo classes as well so it's not just is but there's if you look in the youtube timeline in the little youtube um like how, how far you were along the video whatever there's a chapter in there that has that talks all about specificity and then they go into each of the different pseudo classes that they're talking about but he will talk about the, the specificity rating as as he just taught it. So if you want to see it in action, everything's marked as chapters in the YouTube timeline thing. So you can go check that out and figure out and like watch whichever chapters you want or the whole video, of course. So go ahead. So I'll link those uh, to YouTube videos in the show notes. Of course,
2: I think. You covered is really well. I I don't have a huge amount of experience with it, so I'm not going to I don't have any examples throughout there. But I want to do want to emphasize the specificity talk right now and and also bring in cascading. So cascading style sheets, CSS, cascading is an important concept to understand. I'm not going to teach to you right now, because like Matt said, it's hard to do over verbal text. You need to kind of read it. You need to look at it and need to code with it. But learning essentially the priority in which your classes will be applied and when a class will be applied and when it won't be applied in terms of specificity is going to make your life a lot easier, especially when you're going back to maintain older projects or you're taking on a new project. That's where I found it is the most important because when you're coding it yourself, you can kind of, you know, the, the hierarchy of what you're doing. And if it doesn't work, you'll just add something, it'll work. But when you go on and take on a new project, you're going to see a completely different design system used, a completely different CSS system used. And that's where learning about the prioritization of CSS, what runs and what doesn't based on when it's declared and based on how specific it is, is going to save you a ton of time. So Matt gave some great resources, take a look at them, make sure you understand them because that's going to level up your CSS skills.
1: That That's another thing too with CSS and and is why big projects that have, like I said, that additional CSS area in WordPress, but also other projects that have other multiple style sheets and stuff like that. This is where I think a lot of redundant CSS happens where people don't understand. There's like a hierarchy effectively. There's a specificity rating cascading, like you said. And what ends up happening is, is there's going to be a whole section in a file that makes this whole area green themed, let's say in color, green text, green, this, green, that, whatever is appropriate. And then you want to change it to red. Well, some people will not know or not look for the green. They'll just write the red CSS somewhere else. It comes after and then it's fine. It works. It works just fine. And they think, oh, that's great. But now you got you know double the CSS effectively, and it's just a mess. Like why? So it is important, absolutely, to look at cascading, and the hierarchy, specificity. Really take a look at that, and and just play with it. Play with it in CodePen. CodePen's a good place to try it. Just mess around and be like, oh, what if I put this one before this? What if I do an is with this and not this, and all that type of stuff? I think that'll be that. That's like a good, just a good way to practice and figure it out. Last of the three pseudo-classes here. Once again, the MDN description, but not before we reveal the names, I forgot to. It is not. It is the not pseudo-class. So the MDN description reads, quote, the not CSS pseudo-class represents elements that do not match a list of selectors. Since it prevents specific items from being selected, it is known as the negation pseudo-class. Now, this this next point I have, I want to point out right away, this is there are some weird unusual unexpected if you will behaviors that you can get when using not. These points are from MDN. They had more points on there but these are the three or uh, yeah the three rather sorry that I pulled that I think are the most interesting. First one here is quote useless selectors can be written using this pseudo class. For example, using not with a wildcard or an asterisk inside of the brackets matches any element, which is not an element, which is <laughs> obviously nonsense. So the accompanying rule will never be applied. You can do that. That's technically valid CSS. It just doesn't, doesn't do anything.
2: I love nonsense there. <laughs> just It's just
1: nonsense. It's just, yeah, it's nonsense. Like it's, it's nonsensical. Like get it out of yeah. here. <laughs> Next one here. And this is again, quote from MDN. If any selector pass to the not pseudo class is invalid or not supported by the browser, the whole rule will be invalidated. The effective way to overcome this behavior is to use the is pseudo class, which accepts a forgiving, forgiving selector list. I'm not going to get into the rest of the example um, because I just don't think it's going to be great for audio.
2: I, th- I think I, I can explain it really, really quick. So if you do, uh, it, it's similar to the situation you were describing in the is situation. Mm-hmm. So if you have one of those classes that isn't valid before it was one of them that doesn't exist on the page, this one is not valid. So let's say you miss a dot and put cat instead of dot cat, the whole thing will be broken. It'll think that you're looking for a cat element and And it'll it'll error out. Right. So if if or if maybe a browser supports a cat, it doesn't, spoiler alert, but if one browser supports a cat, (laughs) it'll work on that browser. Uh, It won't work on the other browsers. It'll destroy the entire uh, statement.
1: Right. Correct. Uh, Thank you for that. And the next the next one here is. um, So they have it. They have a the not set up with the the foo class inside of it will match anything. So you just say not foo. It will match anything that isn't foo. This includes HTML and body. So if you don't have foo on like literally the foo class on the body, the html and everything else, it will select everything that is not foo. So I mean maybe you want to do that, but you can get in some <laughs> try and some serious trouble with that if you were like display none and then well there it all goes. It's all gone, it's all gone down the drain. So there's that. Now I did want to point out some interesting use cases because this just sort of sounds pretty obvious. It's just like, oh, it's just a not like it does not have this like who cares. But the first one I have is um, first interesting use case is selecting all the images that do not have an alt set and then setting a style on them. So you don't miss any alt tags in the future. This is a Steve Griffith YouTube video, and it's written as image and then not and then in inside of the knot, inside of square brackets, there's the alt in there. And he put something like a red border around all the images. So this is more of a debugging tool, but something that he can just go in and be like, I'm going to check if I have alt, if I have uh, alt on all these images because I need to. Oh, there's a red border around this one. Boom. That's it. So pretty easy to fix.
2: I kind of want to add add that to my project. Uh, and um. have like have like me with the middle finger or something like that what? On there. oh yeah. my god but i know that's going to lead to an issue because a lot of our content comes from a cms and if a content editor forgets to put an alt tag <laughs> it'll all of a sudden Wait. have a picture of me flipping someone off so i was gonna I'm say who are you flipping off it? here
1: the user or yeah, the editor yeah, like yeah, who are you editor. flipping
2: off here yeah I'm, i i want to do it i'm not gonna do it uh on personal projects i might use that though that sounds hilarious
1: there you go <laughs> Um, next use case here is selecting buttons based on if they're disabled and setting styles on them. This is useful for websites that want to keep their actionables in the same style, but then they also want to have a little bit of a change on whether the button is disabled or not. So you can have, instead of having the, let's just say dot button class and then the dot button disabled class, instead of having two different classes and having to, you know, have a combination and detecting all that, you can literally have everything be styled. So like, let's say everything's styled to be a blue button, certain amount of padding, certain amount of margin, certain font size, font color, all that stuff. You set that on all your buttons and then you use the not to just select the one that you don't want. So you can say like, Oh, is this disabled? Well, if it's disabled, then make it, Oh, make it like less uh, opacity or make uh, the background gray. And it's just effectively two sets of two sets of CSS rules instead of multiple classes. And you're messing around. So just something you can do there. And there is a Steve Griffith YouTube video on that as well that I will link to as well. I think it's actually the same video as the first note. And the next one here is combining. Ha- combining with has so the first powerful uh, css pseudo class that we covered combining with has for complex selecting of elements so within the not pseudo class you can use selectors with you can use selectors with has so in this example they style 3 so let's say you have 3 content boxes and it's 3 pricing tiers and in these pricing tiers there's a button each so there's 3 buttons so different pricing tiers, you know, you, let's say your bronze, silver, gold type, something like that. And the tiers are represented by the content boxes. They're in a row. They got these buy buttons, but there's one that's in the middle. So the middle content box, three in a row, the middle one is a popular tier, a premium tier, if you will. And a CSS class to represent that for some styling differences. So they put a, they put a popular CSS class in there at a high level. This example would select all of the content boxes alongside a not and inside of the not there is a has popular. This is basically saying that inside of a content box if it is not set to popular, if it does not have popular, then the button styling needs to change on the buttons that are not that are not in the popular content boxes. The best way for me to describe how to get familiar with pseudo classes like this cuz this is just word soup at this point. Is to get familiar with sort of a plain language example when looking at the pseudo class itself. So for example, not is does not have and has is more self explanatory for an, for an element having something. So for in this example, we'd say content box does not have a popular class. I know that's word soup. It's, it's in a YouTube video by design course. Uh, all one word. I'll put a link to link to that YouTube video and it's at around eight minutes, 50 seconds. Was that word soup, Mike? Is that a bit that's a bit I'm still getting familiar with like t- talking about CSS rather than just writing like a guide on CSS. It's a little bit a little bit of a learning curve.
2: I think that's OK. No, I, I understood it. I don't think it was word soup. Uh, and for for the audience out there, this is kind of our first real technical episode like this. So please leave us some feedback. Uh, we're at HTML, everything on Twitter uh, and let us know what you think. If you want us to continue doing this, if you want us to do some things differently, because we do want to provide more technical episodes like this, not every episode, but some of them so that we can get you to learn new things in a more in depth way while you're driving somewhere or while you're doing something that you can't look at. So we're trying this, Matt's I think you've done a good job uh, bringing it together for your first one, especially so we're only going to get better from here. We're going to keep providing this type of content moving forward.
1: Uh, absolutely. Because, it, it, you know, it, it, we can talk about productivity and different things like we normally do, but it comes to a point where it's like, do these guys know what they're doing? And so we should be like, hey, I learned about these pseudo classes and this is how they work and stuff like that. So, yeah, d- definitely some technical episodes because they're useful, actually, as well, obviously, as I've learned by watching the various YouTube videos that I'm sharing on here. So when it comes to browser compatibility for Not, again, quite good, uh, minus Internet Explorer and Opera Mini, notably. Uh, if you care about Opera Mini, I don't know if people do or not. I feel like they don't, but I've heard I used to hear about it quite a bit, so I don't know. So just uh, a heads up there. Again, select or uh, check out Can I Use and make sure it's uh, going to be okay for your project. But for me, once again, I I'm good with using Not in my production projects. I'm good with trying Not out using it and i'm totally fine with it uh, i will be linking to the mdn article as well as the as a uh, steve grip as well as the steve griffith video that i mentioned a couple of times uh, for the various use cases that i mentioned now uh, as a final sort of note and i want to say is you know we've gone through the three css pseudo classes that i have for this episode but The thing about these is they're very important. There's an importance to pseudo classes like this. So when Mike and I first learned CSS, it was very much a way to style our HTML with no, say, quote unquote, logic behind it. The logic part was almost always thrown to JavaScript. The JavaScript would make computational decisions with event listeners doing math, whatever. But there were times when learning CSS that I did look up what CSS could do and try to kind of push that limit and get into that logical zone, computational logical zone, like detecting if elements were clicked instead of using a JavaScript event listener. And there were certainly some quick guides out there talking about the target and the active pseudo classes to sort of obtain an on-click functionality. But this was very niche. There were very few guides on it at the time, and often, oftentimes they were limited in one way or another. Now, these newer and I'd say more powerful pseudo classes that are already ready for production or are getting there soon to be ready, hopefully, are really they're kind of changing the game for those learning CSS. And you might just roll your eyes and think, well, I could do all this stuff with JavaScript and just use my sort of older or more basic CSS knowledge the whole time. So what's the point? Well, the point is that absolute beginners are going to be able to make more complex layouts faster in their learning journey. Mike and I always preach that you should learn the vanilla HTML, CSS, and JS as fundamental skills that you can use to make websites and eventually jump into a more specialized field or specialized tool like you want to use React, you want to become a WordPress developer, you want to be a backend developer, you want to use Svelte, the list goes on. But with these three pillars, the HTML, the CSS, and the JS, people oftentimes learn them literally in that order. HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And we've seen comments and messages from people that feel as though they've spent so many hours running HTML, CSS only to be able to barely do anything complex with their, with a website without JavaScript. And then JavaScript becomes a major problem to them. They've never programmed before. It's a huge roadblock. They're so confused. They don't know what a variable is. And they're they they like they're hitting their head off the ground thinking, man, I'm spending almost as much time as I, as I spent learning HTML and CSS, learning this JavaScript thing. I can't do any sort of layout. I'm so like, this is so far out of my league. I'm out. But with powerful pseudo classes like these ones in this episode, alongside making them even more powerful with combinators like the first child, the adjacent sibling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things, this gives people more power in their CSS. And I would say might help with the confidence where you can start making some more logical, computational, logical decisions with CSS. You can make some better layouts, more complex layouts. And you may have, this is an, this is total speculation, but you may have less people quitting in their learning journey because they're like, man, I can already make a pretty cool looking site. I'm just going to add some computational logic to this. And this JavaScript thing's really hard, but I can already make something that's like really cool looking. So I'm going to keep going. And yeah, even with basic CSS knowledge, you can learn like with basic HTML and basic CSS, you can make some cool layouts. But it's not going to feel as interactive. Like when you go to use it, you're going to be like, oh, this isn't that great. But having pseudo classes, having different methods and different. Uh, ways that we use CSS and how CSS evolves and takes over a little bit of what JavaScript is doing. I think you're going to have more people be able to learn JavaScript because they're going to be more confident in what they're doing. 66% into the learning journey of the, of the uh, like two thirds into the learning journey of these three pillars.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, The more that CSS can do, the better your site will be as well, because javascript takes more effort to run and more processing power to run than css so i always kind of preach and i don't always practice what i preach i want to say because i don't always go down the rabbit holes of learning all the new css stuff but it's always better to kind of do everything you can do with html right that so you don't need to use css and javascript then do everything you can do with css right everything On your site, like animations and stuff, there's a lot of animation work that you can do purely with CSS. So if you can stretch it, stretch it as far as you can, then reach for JavaScript. So always kind of progressively go up the ladder rather than going from JavaScript down, which I know some people like to do. like Even for myself, I'm I'm starting to become more comfortable with JavaScript or I am more comfortable with JavaScript than I am with HTML and CSS. But I am trying to flip that script as well, learning a little bit more about this kind of stuff that Matt's talking about, as well as just more structure, SCSS, all that stuff. But regardless, it's kind of really important to understand and be up to date with these pseudo classes to be able to build like, the best layouts you possibly can build because before something like not existed, it was still possible to do a lot of what not is doing. You just have to write very convoluted code. A lot of the time, sometimes using uh, JS and sometimes just writing really long selectors or multiple selectors for one thing. So it was just a little bit uglier, a little bit less maintainable. So as you learn the new ways of doing things in CSS, I guarantee you that the people taking over whatever project you're working on in five years are going to thank you because that's that's where this comes in handy, the maintainability of your code. When it's readable and maintainable, it is something that can last for a decade or two decades or whatever, however long you need the site to last. If it's not maintainable, you're going to have people come in, look at it, be like, no, we're ripping it up and we have to recreate it. So that's going to cost people more money. It costs you more time. It costs them more time and et cetera, et cetera. learn these things, try to implement them. You're going to differentiate yourself from the competition as well. If you're looking for a job and you can explain these classes, like if I was hiring for a CSS develop a CSS developer, someone that's going to be building layouts primarily, I'm probably going to be asking about pseudo classes, just putting it out there. So make sure you learn them for your interviews if you're going into those kinds of roles as well.
1: Honestly, it's a good point. Like I'm literally, I literally have a document on my desktop right now where I'm quoting somebody, and uh, like I'm just doing my sort of preemptive wish list slash what I would change slash problems I'm seeing, and then I'll formulate that into a quote. And someone's been messing around in here, and we're gonna rip a bunch of it out. That's gonna be my my ultimate recommendation. Is I'm gonna go in there, rip it out, r- like kind of re rebase it, you know, pour some new foundation, if you will, and then get the ball rolling. The content can stay and the design can stay and stuff like that, but, um, it's just why am I tinkering with somebody else's convoluted code when I could just rip it out and do it again? Honestly, probably faster at that point as well and easier to maintain down the road. So, a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, well, I, I hope, I, you know, just to kind of conclude this, we did say that this is our first kind of more technical episode. Uh, still learning the ropes on how to make it an audio show. I know it's like, I don't know whether I should be saying, like, you know, colon has start brackets. Like, I don't know if that's useful. I kind of stopped doing that in the middle of the episode. So I'd love some feedback on wh- what you thought, uh, on how we delivered this episode and whether it's, uh, you know, up to the standard or up to maybe we should change it or. Maybe there needs to be a visual or a written guide in association with it or something other than just linking to YouTube videos and that type of thing. But um, if that's all we have, I think we can uh, conclude the episode here, Mike.
2: Yeah, let's roll up that old conclusion.
1: All right. Well, remember that if you want to support episodes like this, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io, Ford Bib from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale and Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off.
0: You've been listening to HTML all the things podcast Signing off.